You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. What is up? Welcome to another episode of the Onkin Radio Podcast. I am your host, Nick Onkin, and today we have a very special guest. Her name is Reverend Brianna Lynn, also known as the Encyclopedia of Information, of amazing information. I adore talking to this woman. Uh, she's like has so many, so much knowledge of of ancient ancient wisdoms and history. And I wanted to bring her on the show because we talk so much about things debunking religion and actual events that happened back in the days that weren't rewritten. Uh, We talk about mastering energy. We talk about burning the witches. We talk about so many different things. Brianna is the founder of the Orgasmic Oracle Mystery School, head witch over there. And uh, she's a coach, mentor, speaker, ceremonialist, um, works with a lot of plant medicine and uh, so many different things. She is a wonderful human being, and I am so excited to share this. Actually, part one of our conversation we had out in Topanga overlooking the, uh, the ocean on a cliff. Not on a cliff, but close to a cliff. And the conversation just kept going. So we recorded the first one, which you'll hear here, and then we'll put out part two um, in the upcoming next episodes. So we also talk about identity, identity alchemy. And uh, speaking of which, uh, we have a, I have a free masterclass going from invisible to influential, supercharge your personal brand. Uh, to be magnetic. Uh, if you want to sign up for that or watch the free masterclass, you can do that at onkin.co slash supercharge. Uh, register and it will send you the free masterclass as well. So without further ado, I bring you Miss Reverend Brianna Lynn. What is up? everyone out there in the ethers of the internet worlds, whatever world we're in, we are in nature right now. And I have with me today, Reverend <laughs> Brianna Lynn. Dun, dun, dun. I, uh, we are, how do, how do we even encapsulate who Reverend Brianna Lynn is? She's an oracle, a medicine woman, a just true being of light and wisdom and an encyclopedia of the most random amazing information ever downloaded into the in into this 3d existence from the universe (laughs) oh my god just amazing one of the dopest humans you will ever meet we connected what at garen's retreat not Garen, Gerard's retreat mm-hmm. about a month ago. And I was mm-hmm. like, this human is epic. I was like, we got to do some shit together. Mm-hmm. So welcome to the show, Reverend Brianna. <laughs> Thank you, Sir Nick Onkin. It is an honor and true pleasure to be with you <laughs> in front of this incredible view up into Topanga, California, just enjoying 
the red-tailed hawks and the live oak trees and the medium overcast over the ocean that we get to view 50 miles out in front of us. Yeah, pretty epic. I was like, where should we do it? And you were like, I got the place. I got the place. <laughs> out in nature. So we are like out in nature. We just did a hike yeah. to the top of this like amazing epic canyon view. Mm-hmm. And now we're just enjoying one of your favorite locations like what is so special about this location for you well what i've learned is relationship with nature is like any relationship the more time you spend with a certain person or a certain place the layers of memories and depths are are created there so this uh, where we are at right now is the first time i ever sat with mushrooms by myself outside almost 15 years ago. Wow. And so I was running around these hills right in front of you here, got really lost down here, but found all these different outcroppings. And there's literally a red-tailed hawk that's been circling around us since we said yes to opening the computer. I know the coyotes of this area, the different wild edible plants everywhere. I know all the trees. I've watched the landscape change of the city. I grew up about 50 miles east of here. And so this feels a lot like my indigenous mountains and there's something about visiting a place in nature again and again and again throughout the different seasons of the year and then throughout different seasons of my own life i spent my 30th birthday by myself here um, which was seven years ago i spent my 25th birthday here and just this has been a spot that i've come back to again and again for different rites of passage for different releases of trauma and different really fun just like joyful exuberances so when you when you mentioned like, hey, maybe something in nature because you like nature and shit. And I was like, oh, I've got the place. I've got the place, Nick. I will take us to the place. And just daddied that situation and brought us here. So welcome to my lair. And shit. <laughs> God, where do we even start? I don't know. There's just so many places we could go with this. And through our conversations over the last few weeks have been so amazing. Maybe we just talk a little bit about your journey into where how you've gotten into the space and and of medicine mm-hmm. and what's brought you to like the oracle and like the all the the orgasmic life that you've you've been creating mm. yeah it was all by accident truly i think <laughs> going back you know when i was in my teens and and thinking about going to college or becoming an adult Social justice has always been at the forefront of of my heart and mind, being raised in a religion that was really oriented towards humanitarian work. And so from a young age, wanting to volunteer and wanting to contribute my life to something greater, while also seeing incredible injustice in the world. So I got involved with activism and social justice around the age of 14. I wanted to be a human rights lawyer and oriented my college degree towards um, socioeconomics in Latin America and human rights. This red tail hawk is just so incredible right now he's literally soaring at eye level just hanging out with us so good and and i've always been very connected to nature my dad's a farmer and and would take me camping and was really big on learning the names of the plants and the animals and and talking to god through through nature that that this medium is us and is bigger than us just like god that that this space is what we are but it's also much more vast and incomprehensible than we could ever fully digest and that place really started my journey of of cosmo vision of gaia vision of this connection to something that is in me and something that is greater than me something that can penetrate me and something that i could truly never touch and there's been this obsession with the ephemeral 
while also existing with with what I call EMA or existential mystery angst of like being a four-year-old child and recognizing, oh, the reason why I'm afraid of demons grabbing my ankles is because I believe that demons could grab my ankles. Like starting to understand that the realm of angels and demons that I had been told was a real space, was actually a fifth dimensional space, aka the imaginal space, the place where human beings contribute with their thoughts and words and sounds and, and belief systems. And so therefore it doesn't exist if we don't exist. That's where all the gods and goddesses, that's where all the metaphors of how we try to touch infinity exist. So from a young age, getting in touch with the fact that we as human beings have constructed this whole authoritarian reality that actually doesn't exist outside of our own imaginations and starting to come to terms with the fact that the majority of violence and conflict on the planet exists because of that imagination space that we've made up. If that's true, then we can also make up something new. And so I've become obsessed with this uh, shamanic space, oracling space, fifth dimension space, where all things begin, where your hat began, your shirt began, you know, the curve of this road began in an imaginal space and then was made reality through human action. So my study has been shamanics, etheric spaces, plant medicine spaces, ecstatic states that get us in touch with a deeper sense of humanity through our connection to the divine and then how to terrestrialize that through our action for the highest good of all. Mm. And not just for a personal religion or a personal dogma or to prove my greatness as a whatever the fuck, but to really come into touch with that our greatest joy, our greatest joy, my greatest joy, and I believe our greatest joy as humanity comes when we are giving our purpose for the highest good of the most people that we can on this planet. Like nothing turns me on mm. more than the idea that the work that I'm here to give could actually touch many people for the highest good of them. Mm. Sure, income. Sure, get your six-figure clients. Sure, build all that out. But why? But what's I... the deeper why? And so it's kind of this full circle with, with religion and spirituality of like there is something there around our desire to be connected to humanity through our purpose while also being connected to something that's more of a legacy, what has come before us, what will be here after us, how do I contribute to that, while also being in the joy of creation of my own life as art. Mm. Um, and so it's been an up and down journey. I dealt with suicidality from fantasizing about suicide. Uh, really started when, when my eating disorder came, one of the tools for me to navigate my extreme emotional sensitivity to the world around the age of 11 up until my mid-20s. In my early 20s is when ayahuasca found me yaje through the Ecuadorian Shuar Secopai tradition when I was living in Costa Rica in 2008. And that was my first introduction to plant medicine as ceremony and really got to touch into those spaces of cosmovision that I had been experiencing through breath and, and I would say obsessive thought. One might call it meditation, but it was obsessive thought yeah. that would bring me to these spaces of no thingness. Um, when I discovered plant medicine and started to unravel my my base layer identity i began to see myself as an appendage of the earth and an appendage of of gaia and my gender is the lorax like i feel much more connected to like i speak for the trees <laughs> than anything else and now my work is is to coach mentor speak and facilitate experiences that help people get connected to their infinite self through their finite expression of their own life as art so I really love connecting into that shamanic space, but then defining it in my finite life. How do I want to express that through my business, through my art, through my lovemaking, through the way I write poetry, through the way I wear my clothes, through all these finite things that actually don't mean anything, but can represent our infinite selves as they express in this moment. So Orgasmic Oracle is a movement, a mystery school, 
coaching mentorship container that allows people to explore the wholeness of humanness. I'm down for the shadow and the light. I'm down for the beauty and the silky. I'm down for the wholeness and using all of that as fuel for our expression of art. So that's the short version. The short version. Well put. I love it. That's it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I think there's so much in getting to the space of self-expression, right? Like, what have you seen in people? You know, this is like what I call what I, the process, part of the process of identity alchemy, right? Is like getting to a space of full expression mm-hmm. because there's so much that limits us. There's so much that just like in our own head, in our own body, in our own DNA that we have to recode, break down, deconstruct, recode, curate, become something new, right? And that's such a constant process. And like, what have you seen in the way, like, that get people, it gets in the way for most people that you work with or yeah. that you've encountered? Yeah. So my my background training is in trauma-informed coaching and neuro-linguistic programming and NLP. There's kind of four layers that we work with. The first, or like the most superficial layer would be like your cultural context, societal and cultural context. And then from there, going deeper and down would be behaviors. And then going deeper and down from there would be belief systems. And then going deeper and down from there is identity. I am-ness. And starting to understand that when people use societal standards or their behaviors or even their beliefs as their identity, that's the number one thing that stops us from actually expressing what we are. (laughs) And when I start to say, oh, the way that society has pinned me as a feminine woman or a masculine woman or a feminine man or whatever the fuck or a white presenting person or a Native American or a yogini or a coach or whatever identity that has been placed on me, as soon as I start to believe that to be true, I start to limit my expression. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with limiting our expression. In order to create art, we need a canvas, right? You actually need a limited space to express something. It's about having choice in our limitations, about having choice in what it is that I'm going to eliminate from infinity in order to express my version of Michelangelo's David, right? He said, I saw the marble piece and I saw the statue already there. That's kind of how identity works. It's like, it's already this thing and I'm just choosing what it is that I'm carving away at this time. So, so much of my facilitation and you got to experience a little bit of it. And my coaching isn't about adding things to people's life. It's about taking away, letting go of, releasing trauma stories, releasing stories of identity that don't serve questioning really tapping into the deviance of divinity of like i've been told this about myself or i've been told this about my gender i've been told this about my socioeconomic status and i wonder how true that is for me now yeah and playing with that line of gray playing with the nuance playing with the subtleties and and practicing through social experiments and using life as art rather than art is something i do or create my life my every moment, the way I do my hair, the way I order matcha, the way I play with my dog, like this is my art. I may not get another moment to express in this way. So what can I bring forward now that is the deepest expression of my heart, womb, and soul? And that shift, especially for my own identity coming out of like, oh, I'm a coach or I'm a spiritual influencer or I need to be a guru or I need to teach somebody something and just being like, no, I'm fucking art. And just like art, like... <laughs> You maybe you like Deda, maybe you don't. Maybe you like Monet, maybe you don't. Maybe you like natural scapes, maybe you don't. Maybe you like this music, maybe you don't, but you can move on from that. So I've depersonalized my own experience of like, if people like me as art or not like me as art, that's actually not my responsibility to negotiate and navigate. 
My responsibility is to understand my intention, make the highest positive impact for the most amount of people possible, because that's what's important to me, and be authentic in my expression as my life is art now. Not so much what I produce, but more of who I be. So I would say the number one thing that I notice that trips people up is when they start to categorize societal beliefs and standards, behaviors, and, and their own beliefs as self. When what we are is infinite, I am Satnam, and then trying to express that in the pinhole of this moment. Right, right, right. It's so interesting how we become so attached to one identity when we are not that identity. We are infinite beings. Yeah, like we've been so constructed to identify. I mean, look at our world today. Everything, identity politics, identity this, identity that. It's so fascinating, I mean, like to to be able to like let go of what those identities are, to like stay fluid in whoever we are, like whatever we're expressing, like with the creativity that exudes. And I think you know my mission is also to help people in in the sense of like expressing themselves and mm-hmm. you know and, and through identity alchemy process. Which I feel like is so interesting that you like break that down so deep I love, it. I love it you're more than welcome to take it it's not mine it's from neurolinguistic programming and my teacher carl Buchheit. but it really helps to kind of suss out what we've identified as i am right mm-hmm. right and that's what causes wars 100 percent. it's like identity mm-hmm. religious identity yeah yeah <laughs> i have the better answer for the thing that we can never have the answer to than you, right? Like yeah. I can explain the mystery that none of us can ever explain better and more superiorly than you can. Therefore, I'm justified in blowing up your people. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't believe it, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I mean, what here's, <laughs> I, I have compassion because there's the part of my mind too that wants to know. Does this person like me? Where's my food coming from? Where's my money coming from? Where's what's happening after we leave this place? I get it. Like that human, uh, uh, that one that just wants to know that's the iman, the existential mystery angst. Literally in this moment, we're sitting on a giant magnet that happens to have water. That's following a giant magma liquid magnet through the universe at millions of miles per hour. We're flinging through the universe at millions of miles per hour. Do you know what's pulling the gravity of this sun? The only thing that's stronger than this sun is a Death Star 3.2 billion miles away. So when I tap into that as a tiny little mammal in this tiny little body on this tiny little speck on this (laughs) epic cliff face that we're on right now, it's amazing that we get anything done. It's amazing that we go to the DMV. It's amazing that we can feed ourselves. It's amazing that we raise children and create computers and can mine lithium and, and, and do these things when we actually tap into the fact that we're spinning counterclockwise on a giant magnet that happens to have H2O following this liquid magma ore into the infinite darkness, into the infinite unknown, into this black death star that who knows what will happen 3.2 billion light years from now. What? <laughs> How do we do it? Like, I'm constantly amazed at the miracle that is just human functionality. Yeah, that, well said, well said. (laughs) Tell me about this Death Star. Right? (laughs) Just a little, like, node in the universe that has become so magnetic and, and pulls everything from other universes into it. The only thing stronger right now 
than our sun's own magnetism, what's keeping all of the nine planets in the order that they are at just the right electromagnetic frequency so that they influence each other in just the right ways, but not too much. If any of the planets were even one degree closer or further away from the sun, the earth couldn't exist in its current form. Right. Like that is so amazing. So the pull of this Death Star to our sun is just enough to keep us spinning counterclockwise to the, to the clockwise spin of our own sun that we're turning like this. And it's just perfect enough that we have four seasons, that our planet grows its own food, that we have animals that can be our companions and our snacks. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Like, maybe there's some divine intelligence that created this. I can't, I can't doubt it just with my own mind. But there's also just this like awe of, and people are building construction right now while we're spinning flinging ourselves millions of miles through the universe whenever i sit with the plants literally just sitting in the trees i'm not even talking about consuming psychedelics although i love that too whenever i just sit with the trees and really just tap into the science the, the of what is i become flabbergasted any little thing any little thing in our ecosystem we could lose one species and the whole thing could collapse like the delicateness of what it is that we actually live on. And yet the resilience of it simultaneously is frightening. And I think that's where religion comes from. It comes from this desire to assuage this constant confusion at our little mammalian bodies flinging at millions of miles per hour towards infinite darkness and unknown. There's a part of us that wants to be like, mommy, please tell me it's going to be okay. I love that Ima, existential mystery angst, also means mother in Hebrew. Mm. So we're like going to Ima, we're going to our existential mystery angst, being like, please tell me that I'm a good person. And please tell me that like daddy's going to come and save me from this weird planet. And please tell me that there's going to be an afterlife where daddy just holds me in his arms forever, right? Like that's where all religion comes from. It's from this very sweet, in my opinion, sweet, innocent place of just wanting to be held and be told that like, everything's going to be okay, even though none of us survived this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. We're all trying to figure out the meaning of all of this. All of it. All of it. Yeah. And we're either being told the meaning from a dogma or a government or a religious structure, or we're creating it as we go along. And that's much more of the indigenous path from different earth traditions from around the world, including my indigenous traditions, which are Celtic, Akania, Trushkin, and Sabine. It's this idea that the philosophy and the and the the religiosity of life is actually a bridge that builds itself as we step out into the infinite nothingness. That it can't be something that we construct and then follow. It's actually an experience that God has to be an experience, not a thought, not a concept. Earth-based traditions are deep in breath, sound, movement, touch, literally getting in touch with the physical sensations as a divine experience and utilizing elements and nature and the directions and the magnetism of the earth and the magnetism of the sun and the moon and the stars to orient ourselves in a way where we can be in awe of what we do know, which is very limited, but mostly in reverence to the great mystery, that which we could never know. Hmm. And so that's where my juice really comes from, is like getting back in touch with those earth-based indigenous wisdoms as guidance tools, not as answers, as guidance tools as we fling ourselves into the infinite unknown. We can never know. We can't. We'll never know. And that, that shake or existential mystery angst, learning how to turn that into fuel for life as art, rather than a question that we're trying to hammer down with an answer, for me, 
is is my experience of inner peace and I believe will be the only thing that brings us world peace is when we as human beings can really come to terms with the fact that there will be things that we can never know. Mm, true. So true. And like, I think that's what, yeah, it's inner peace. Like when everybody can get to inner peace, when everybody can move through the traumas that keep us, keep everyone from like having oneness <laughs> and and being in a space of, of world healing for that matter <laughs> so what what's the so tell tell me about the religious background that you uh oh it's very similar to yours nick yeah, uh yeah. born again born again christian you know i was praising josh just praising josh just loving up on the yeshua yeshua is the aramaic uh, name for for what is modernly branded as jesus yeshua is joshua so i like to refer to him in his traditional name of josh and i was raised singing praises to josh the other day the song came through you might remember this one the nails in his hands and nails in his feet they tell me how much you love me i'm like seven years old praying to this entity of who the fuck knows what the thorns in your brow they tell me how you bore so much shame to love me. Being raised as a child with the concept that all of my friends who didn't believe the same thing that I believed were going to burn in hell for eternity was really painful. The idea that if I stepped out of line, even in the smallest sense, or lo lost my connection to Josh for a moment and then died, that I could burn in hell forever. The idea that the thing between my legs was the biggest downfall of all of humanity. The concept that me walking around with breasts or an exposed shoulder might cause the temptation of a brother or a father and cause them to touch me in a way that I didn't want, but it would be my fault. The level of abuse that happens to children psychologically, specifically within the Christian Catholic line, needs to be addressed immediately on our planet. 2.3 billion people subscribe to this old, outdated Middle Eastern cult, and it's dangerous for us to continue to propagate it. And I also respect people who find some sort of ephemeral spirituality through unconditional love of Jesus. I also appreciate some of his words in poetry. Song of Solomon is one of my favorite books. Oh my gosh, it's the first porn I ever read. Like, I just, I get it on a certain soul level and on another level, anything that separates us from any other part of humanity is based in lies. And so I started to come to terms with this when I was 10. I had done a, a sixth grade book report on the Zulu nation of South Africa. And I'll never forget Frankie, who was one of our youth group pastors, looked at me and said, you know, I was speaking about how excited I was learning about this culture and their different practices specifically around the ways that they would raise their children and sing to each other and have this very communal tribal aspect. I was I was fascinated with tribe from a young age. And I remember Frankie in the youth group, one of the youth group pastors looking at me and saying, well, it's too bad that they're going to burn in hell. I just remember thinking, like, how fucking insensitive, like, how dare you declare an entire nation of people who had their practices thousands of years before Josh even came around? How dare you declare their entire culture condemned because they don't align with your beliefs? That felt really immature and asinine to me, even as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. And that's when I really started to question and deconstruct. By the time I was 15, I told my parents that I would be having premarital sex if they continued to force me to go to church. Like, that's kind of what I put on the line was like my virginity. <laughs> I will be having sex in your home if you force me to go to church. And they're like, you don't have to. You threatened them with your virginity. I did. I did. I had my purity ring and everything. So it was a big deal for my parents to be like, our oldest daughter is one of the pure. 
Yeah. Right? This very like chaste. She doesn't wear spaghetti straps. Like her skirts are past her fingertips. And by this time, I'm already like checking out women and men and like looking at sexuality as this pantheon of experience. And my parents are touting around how their oldest daughter's not interested in sex. I'm like, I'm just not interested in the sex that's on your menu. You have no idea. You have no idea what I'm interested in. So that that began a big deconstruction. It was also around the time where the Iraqi war was declared. George Bush was was brought into presidency. And a lot of my friends in high school were being, I don't know how else to say it, seduced into the army. I, I grew up in a very socioeconomically poor area, um, mostly people of color. And the majority of my high school graduating class and the classes beforehand, the majority of them went into the military. And I thought it was so disgusting the way they used God mm. and country in order to get poor non-white presenting people to go fight on the front lines. And the majority, I would say 90% of my friends who went and fought during those times are chronically mentally ill yeah. with, with PTSD and with little to no support from the government currently. And so that was the breakdown of, of God as it was presented within the born-again Christian, non-denominational, revivalist, evangelical. There's a lot of names for that. The non-denominational ones are usually the most denominated. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> Jesus Freak, Jesus Camp, Greg Glory and the 144,000. Like, I was a part of, of, of a spiritual movement that was definitely based in, yeah, uh, an ancient Middle Eastern kind of fringe cult that got branded by a Roman empire and exported around the world through colonization. So yeah, I got to live that a little bit in this lifetime. And, and the more I stepped away from the church, the more hungry I was for spirituality, actual experiences of God. Mm. And I had many ecstatic experiences through the born again Christian church and mo mostly moments of song and, and dance. Anytime I got to move my body or sing with it, there was an automatic, like my eyes roll back in my head and just like in the orgasm of God, in that frequency of oneness. I found it there too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's everywhere. There's no place that it isn't. Yeah. It's just different intentions. Different intentions. And then how that ecstasy is kind of bottled and given credence only to this book or only to these experiences or only in these kinds of buildings. Like you can't have the experience of God in a Catholic church, at least not according to the religion that I grew up in, or you can't have this experience in a Buddhist temple, or you can't have this experience outside in the wilderness, or you can't have this experience during sex unless it's only with your husband and you've already given blah, 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 blah. Like there were all these conditions on the unconditionality of love. And I was like, wait a second, if we're actually talking about unconditional love, Shouldn't it be unconditional that I can experience anytime, anywhere with anyone? Yeah. So that was the big deconstruction for me, was wanting to feel the infinite, infinitely. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 All right, my friend, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and it is one of my favorite brands, Organifi. Uh, as you know, I'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that. So one of my favorite uh, mixtures is 
something that I like to mix three of their products together. It's the pure, the red juice, and the green juices. And it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning. Um, so I've been doing this every morning. And what's been great is I've been taking it on my travels so that I can keep some daily nutrients with me, especially when it's a very travel schedule. I don't always have access to foods that I want to eat. Um, so it's a great staple, great way to um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. So you can just drop them in, mix them with water, and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little, and it's all organic. Either way, no processed sugars. Uh, so the green juice, which is great, is just you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need. You just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, and then Pure. Uh, Pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't. I had to look this up. Uh, Brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory. So neuroplasticity, things like that. Uh, what's great, it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry. Got baobab from an African fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin C that oranges do. It's got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health. Contains all kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code Onken, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. It's such a wild, I mean, growing up in the church and growing up in that con construct and and being told this is how it is. This is what it is. Like you, there's no other way. You know, we're not judging you, but we're judging you. We're we're, we're unconditional love, but it's actually really conditional. Unconditional love with an asterisk. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not unconditional if there's an asterisk after it, and you have to explain your conditionality. There's like four asterisks, <laughs> and then it's like at the bottom of the page, you're like, actually, actually, <laughs> like. It's only, we only love you if. <laughs> Truly, we only accept you if. We can only let our children play at your house if. We can only, you know, invite you over more than once if you dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. And it's wild to like, even for me to grow up in a space where, you know, my parents didn't even know, right? Like, it's so, they're in the construct so hard <laughs> that what it is, they show up in a, like, in such an innocent way. Yeah. And like, in a pure way, in a certain sense of like, there's no malintention. Right. However, the construct of the religion creates a malintention mm -hmm. without them even knowing it, mm -hmm. um, which is wild. I mean, wild, wild. And we see it across different traditions. Scientologists, I see that in Scientologists. I see it in the Latter-day Saints, Mormon traditions. I see it in people who grow up in very fundamentalist Buddhist homes. I see it throughout Islamic fundamental, anything that says I am right and everyone else is wrong, 
there is an ignorant innocence, especially those who are raised in that kind of cult. Right. And when there's a closed system where information is not allowed to flow freely and there's no deviance that's allowed, um, we lose divinity. If there's no deviance, we lose divinity. Wow. Well said. Well said. Yeah. I I think once you, once something or someone becomes deified, it's like done. Like, I mean, look at Osho. Ugh. Like what happened there? Oh God. Like amazing teachings, amazing insight, amazing practices gone completely awry. Yes. Yes. So wild. So wild. Yeah, we see like that construct of as soon as someone guru-fies themselves or is guru-fied by others or they get the spiritual influencer stamp or they get like the whatever fucking leader stamp or the corporate stamp. As soon as someone reaches a pedestal that's outside of humanity, the three main pitfalls that I see, whether they're a plant medicine leader or a CEO or a fucking president of the United States, is sex, money, or self-concept of all-powerful. Those are the three pitfalls. And it's across the board, across the board. So this is why, for me, as I step more into wanting to make a positive impact for more people on the planet, I'm art. I'm not trying to be your leader. I don't want to be your guru. Like, I coach, but I don't even want to consider myself a coach. Like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a verb, not a noun. It's what I'm doing. It's not what I am. Yeah. Um, I am, I am mentoring people. It's this space of holding myself accountable with the people who are closest to me, my friends, my own coach and therapist, my, my people who can be like, hey, you're a little out of line here. Like you say you want to be inclusive, but here are the areas where you're excluding people with your language or your behaviors. Cool. Thank you for the awareness versus building myself up as the expert of or the master of or the teacher of. Anything that creates more pyramids and less circles is problematic on our planet right now. If we're talking about moving towards a planet of inner peace for world peace, there's got to be a huge level for me and for anyone who considers themselves a leader or someone with a message or someone with something that they want to share with the world. If your purpose is meant to be shared in any way and it's self-sourced through your own joy, we've got to bring a lot of humility with this. We've got to bring a lot of humility of like, we don't know shit. And here's my artistic contribution to the place where we don't know shit. Here's my seat at the table and I'm gonna sit in it and like not try to elbow anyone else out of their seats, but like really be in my own juice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the number one thing that I see kind of go awry is when people get that God complex yeah. and they think they can fuck anyone, make whatever kind of money they want and, and answer to no one but their own authority connection with God because they have a special connection that no one else has. It's the oldest fucking con artistry of of all times. I have a connection to God that you don't have. Therefore, I have an authority that I can say about my behaviors that you can't. And it's like until you can receive reflection from the people who are around you, who know you, um, you shouldn't be leading anything. Shh. Mm. Sir, ma'am, non-binary person, whatever. <laughs> that Yeah, that's my number one. Like with Osho, it was a piece of starting to see self as God which I believe is true. But if we don't also see self as devil equally, all the beauty and all the evil that I see in the world is also capable inside of me in any moment. I can also fall like that in any moment. There's nothing outside of me that's going to make me do that. That is my negotiation with how I choose to behave and live my life. That is within me. As soon as I think I am immune to temptation or immune to money, sex, or power, 
that is when I'm going to fall. That's the place where it's going to come get me. Mm-hmm. And so to be in a place of, of, of uplifting people around me to not be afraid to give me reflection of when I'm bullshitting myself, mm-hmm. I think is the only way to move forward without us creating more, more problematic dogmatic structures. Yeah, absolutely. It's really like a dance of ego attachment mm-hmm. as well. Like how do you, how, how would you say you dance with that? And like, especially when you see it out in the world, I mean, it's like a practice mm-hmm. really to like remain humble, especially when you grow an audience or you grow as a, an influencer or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. like staying, staying grounded. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you stay grounded and not let that shit take you over? Yeah. One thing my dad always taught me, my dad's a very wise man. I love you, Randy Cavion. You're just an excellent human being. Thank you for being in my life. He always taught me was the, the bigger the leader, like take out the trash more. Like every event that I'm at, I make sure to take out the trash and wash dishes, no matter what my position is. Mm. And as simple as that may sound, like if I'm facilitating the whole weekend, I'm getting paid thousands of dollars to be there and like, do you fucking take out the trash? Remember who you are. Remember where you came from. All right. Literally remember where you came from. That's that's one is like, never be too proud to do the mundane things. Mm. Never be. And it, you know, there are times where my <laughs> attention is diffused and I can't take out the trash, but like never be in the air of like, I'm too good to do that behavior. I'm too good to do that task. Like, oh, that needs to be outsourced to a maid. As soon as I have that thought, I need to go do that. I need to go do that thing. So that's number one. Number two is like literally being connected to the earth. For me, like hiking, being outside, being in nature, getting my hands dirty, getting my feet dirty, growing a garden, my rising ritual every day, like spending the first three hours of my day to myself and and having that prayer time where I'm just infusing myself with let me be proud enough to bring forward what I need to bring forward enough and humil- with enough humility and humble enough to receive back the reflection of if my impact is positive or otherwise. And that piece, that dance. And then number three is community, like being really willing to keep people around who will tell me as it is yeah, and who are not just using me, whether it's other kind of influencer kind of people or friends or you know, lovers that I choose to have in my field, like people who can actually give me authentic feedback of the way that I impact them and being willing to hear and not take it as ultimate truth, but take it as information, almost like I'm doing research, right? When I'm doing academic research and I'm working on my PhD now, so it's gotten to a whole other level. When I'm doing academic research, it's about surveying the information and noticing the concentric circles of different researchers So to have enough books or humans in my life where I start to know the concentricities of the positive and also the growth feedback that they're giving me. Like, hey, Brianna, you talk too fast on podcasts. Maybe you should slow down. That's when I get back a lot and I have not slowed down in this one. But those places of concentricity, that's what we really want to focus on as researchers. That's what I like to have in in my circles. I like diverse age, race, socioeconomic background, belief systems in my friend group. And be open, be humble, be like, we are equals. Please let me know how I impact you with my words. Please let me know when I go on stage what this is like for you. And getting feedback in that way and noticing the concentricities. Again, not taking any one voice as the truth, Mm. but everything that's shared as information. I would say those are the three things that help me stay in check. And then also just like, yeah, my own practice of, of being in touch with the layers of my own learning. Like I'm 
in 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 the library of infinity like a bookshelf of knowledge means nothing right like my brain is big and i have a lot of capacity for information and knowledge and transmission and channeling and every time i tap into that infinite space i feel both how elated and tiny i am and that i don't know how to explain it but like it's like being on a pulpit but being a tiny little mouse like yes i'm here to give a message but i also feel like this very small container that I'm giving it in. Yeah, so I guess that's four, four things that help me right. stay in check. Thanks for the, thanks for the the check advice. It's so funny, yeah. It's like we're just like these little tiny little specks out, just like grand little, grand grand not little universe, this grand grand universe that is being flung around the around the sun. Multiverses, right? Like we are one universe. There's millions of universes also flinging themselves simultaneously with <laughs> yeah. us, right? The fact that we haven't, like, interacted a comet, like, the dinosaurs know about this. They were around supposedly millions of years. Giant reptiles ruled our planet for millions of years. Humans been around for about 10,000. <laughs> Let's just take that in for a moment. Giant reptiles hung out here, and then a comet eliminated all of them. Right. Because in the multiverses that are flinging through the multiverses, there's some space junk going around. The fact that we're here and there's not a comet that has destroyed us in the past 10,000 years is is really phenomenal. Right. And you know what's funny is it like, you know, where did people go before Josh? Where did people go? I think they were like in Free the Josh. Christian in the Christian <laughs> philosophy. I've asked this question before. They're like there's this place called purgatory where for thousands of years people just hung out in this like pseudo heaven pseudo hell like not quite heaven not quite hell and then when josh hung on the cross remember he went down to hell or went down to purgatory to like release the souls oh. supposedly he went to this place and this is mythology built on mythology okay so someone's interpretation of this he went down to purgatory and fought the demon and and purged purgatory of the demon and release the souls that saw him as God and condemn the souls that didn't see him as God. Like that's, that's as good as the Thor story. Or like, I love the story of Isis and Osiris. Of course I love the story of, of Josh slash Jesus redeeming purgatory for all ad infinitum forwards and backwards across time. Like I love mythology, right? Like this yeah. is to me, I've started to see it more as literature rather than as a dogma that I need to prove right yeah. or wrong to somebody. Right. And we start to see these things as cultural context ways to help people navigate their own existential mystery angst. And it's like, oh, that's just your panacea for not wanting to just stop farming and just sit in the middle of your field and cry because of the truth of what is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we do need people to produce food. We do need people to build houses. And at some points, people needed to fight wars. And at some points, people needed to have children. And at some points, people needed to build this computer that's sitting in front of us. If they were so busy focusing on the infinite mystery, they wouldn't have been able to do these things. So religion in a certain way was about creating people who could do shit without having to think about how mysterious this whole thing is. Right. Yeah. Just people get people need that certainty or want like they crave the certainty. Yeah. Of of being Luna's coming in right now. Luna's Stay. coming in. Coming in hot. Come on, come on three. Down. Um craving the certainty of needing Down. to know, right? And like, you know, it's like so much of practice is like learning to not be okay with not knowing. Yeah. Not knowing coming up. Because all we have is now. Well, that's it. 
And that's actually like when this is this is where it gets juicy, right? Because this is what I call orgasm is that feeling of like, oh, we actually can never know. Feel that sensation in your body for a second. Feel like we don't know. We don't know. What's, is, is this person going to hate me? Is this person going to love me? Is this food going to be good? Is this food going to taste like shit? Are we going to fall off this mountain? Is our planet going to collide with a comet? And, yeah. <laughs> oh, that feeling, that like ululation that happens in every indigenous tribe. That like, it's in every traditional shamanic song. That to me is the expression of like orgasmic mystery of like, when I tap into that, everything matters and nothing matters simultaneously whoa and the way that i treat people when i'm in reverence to that orgasm is so much more kind mm. it's so much softer it's like oh my god you're are you feeling the giant orgasm that's it's intense right it's intense all the time in every direction whoa we're forever expanding and imploding at the same time uh. and that to me is an authentic compassion that comes from the shared experience of the, the great mystery rather than a feigned compassion that we're supposed to do because our religion says so. Mm. It's from a place of like, we, we're, we're resting in the like continual vibration of the infinite orgasmic nature of what it means to be human on this tiny planet while also creating art with the finite time that we have. Mm-hmm. We're not guaranteed another moment. We could walk off this mountain and be done. Like we can be done now, we don't know. And that piece of like, oh, I'm going to make a choice fully unattached to what happens next and fully committed to living my life full out and fully committed to being kind and honest and connected and fully committed to making something beautiful with every step and every breath and fully unattached to what it's supposed to be next. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I'm just getting, I'm literally shaking in my body. It might be the matcha. Yeah, it's like learning how to make love with the moment in every moment. And it's a practice. It's such a practice. Presence is a practice. And it's something that like I've had to work at so much just to like be in the moment. Because we're always here. We're always here. We're always here. Yeah. Past, future, past, future. And because it's a lot. I mean, just feeling the texture of my pants and my legs, it's a lot of sensation, right? Like just being in, there's a lot happening here. There's you, there's Luna, there's these trees, there's this computer, there's this immaculate view. There's nothing even quote unquote happening right now. And there's so much happening. Right. And I think it's the escapism from feeling all the sensations that gets us looped in addiction or gets us looped in um, metric achievements or Newtonian metrics or gets us looped in these things of like, what are we doing? We're not human doings, we're human beings, my dad likes to say. This, this, this constant focus on how we can do more, be more, make more. It's like, that should all be secondary to can I be, can I pace my life so that I can stay fully here while also creating something beautiful and positively impactful for the planet? If I only focus on my creations, and not on the sensations of this moment. I lose the reason why I'm here, which is connection and relationship. The reason why we human beings, in my opinion, individuated so that part of God is sitting in your body and part of God is sitting in my body is for the magnetic field that we feel when we're around each other. It's like, look, we're different, but we're the same, but we're different, but we're the same, whoa! (laughs) That, That whole dance 
yeah gets lost when we're in escapism when i'm talking about i'm not even talking living in the past or living in the future inebriating myself so i'm not feeling what's authentically alive getting away from gratitude orgasm or deviance what i call god g-o-d being grateful for all that has happened will happen all that's happening now being in the sensational aliveness of this moment through orgasm and questioning all the dogma and all the cultural context that's placed on me of who or what I'm supposed to be, when I'm out of that, that's when we get controlled as the masses. When we're not focused on God, gratitude, orgasm, and deviance, that's how we get controlled in Newtonian metrics of how much money did you make and what's the car you drive and what's the house you have and whatever those metrics are. And don't get me wrong, like I love my luxury. I've got a nice car, I like the nice things, but that's not who I am. That goes, that can be taken out in any moment. And having gained and lost a few different times in Newtonian metrics and being able to get to a place of, oh, this isn't real, but we are playing the game of Monopoly. That is one thing from Osho that I appreciated about his teachings. He was like, oh, we're playing Monopoly. Just learn the game and play it well, but realize none of it is your identity. If you have a million Rolls Royces or zero, that's not who or what you are. Right. But being able to play with with these things externally without them becoming a part of our identity is very challenging yeah yeah it's like it is i love this is such a game right and like the more we can see it as a game the more we get to play right like the more we can just like dress our avatar how we want it in whatever regalia that is as a, as a form of self-expression as a form of like art is a form of who we are mm-hmm. and form of belonging to like regalia i love that word right is is all, in ceremonial regalia is about belonging to a band or a tribe or a community where it's like we all wear our hair like this we all wear these types of crystals or these feathers or these markings like that there's a way to have belonging and individuation of expression in in what we do and as as human mammals we are marking for sameness we're, we're looking at like where are we saying where are we different where are we saying where are we different are you safe not safe are we safe not safe and this this remember we have this you know very primordial limbic system that's constantly in every moment being like safe not safe safe not safe safe not safe and there isn't a nuance in that part of our brain in the amygdala it's a very old lower stem cell in our brain And when we're coding for safe, not safe, what we do as human beings is wear clothing or wear things that indicate to other humans that we're safe. Somewhat normal. I'm a little bit of a fringe dresser, but not so fringe that people are going to be like unsafe. But there are spaces that I walk into that wearing a crystal or an onk or some some symbol, especially if I'm in like the the born again Christian department, (laughs) I get marked as not safe because of my regalia versus in other spaces, I'm marked as safe because I belong and there's a similarity. So even within that, noticing how identity has gotten convoluted with that cultural societal context. So interesting, so fascinating, like that idea, right? Like, and how much we connect with others, how much we separate ourselves from others, how we, you know, and then what does that mean for identity, right? Because then that almost becomes an identity that, that we get attached to in and of itself yeah yeah <laughs> it does and playing with that space of i am like that that i love that you know gurmukhi word it's a like from the gurmukhi language of satnam like the i amness it also means i am truth or i am all thingness and connecting to that place's identity and then starting to see the finite expressions of of preference or what brings me the most sensation. That's what I like to work with people. It's like from the place of all thingness, 
what brings me the most sensation now is this kind of expression, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's poetry or painting or posting or dance or, you know, coaching or utilizing a healing modality or utilizing your law degree or whatever it is that brings the most aliveness for this moment, that is the expression of the infinite in this finite way. So that identity is that marriage between the infinite and the finite in this moment. And that finite might be true for a long time. That finite might be true for your whole life. That finite might just be true for a moment or a lesson, right? I like to think of relationships or, or expressions of art as, as it's either for a moment, a lesson, or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make it any less or any more. It's actually what makes it the most is if it's alive if it's real, if it's connected to that infinite sense of self, that satnamness, and then being expressed in the finite is my favorite form of art. When you can feel an artist like tapped into that infinite space, but the language they're speaking, the instrument that they're playing, their time and space is finite, right? But they're tapping into that infinite space. The marriage of the infinite and finite, that truly is alchemy, right? Like the feminine finite and the masculine infinite or whatever you want to identify it as. I don't want to care. That combination of the infinite and finite in every moment, that is why we're here. That is relationship. That is connection. Like I am the all thingness. I will last forever. And my experience is this consciousness in this body is finite. (laughs) (laughs) So good. (laughs) Dropping bars over here. I just just want to write poetry when I think about it. It's all I can do. Oh, man. Have you read Rick Rubin's new book? No, but I saw you posted about it and I'm like, I got to get on this, like just the whole philosophy of art and artist and, and that. Yeah. And it's the relationship. Yeah. It's a, he's, his whole philosophy is art is or creativity, is spirituality yeah. is spiritual. And it's like the more you can open the channel, the, the more greater the creativity comes through. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it, it's so interesting because his process is also taking away things until it's stripping everything down until that's all you need to make it. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking to the guy that has like produced the most legendary al- albums of all time. Yeah. The most legendary like artists of all time. And like they come to him when they're stuck and they can't, they're, they have a creative block and yeah. he helps them like move through in a spiritual space. So cool. It's so dope. It's, and that book, like he, I think the book he did in the same process where he took, he stripped away everything that wasn't necessary. So like every word, every sentence in that book is so rich with knowledge. It's like a creative Bible. Mm. Uh, so good. It's so good. I'm, I'm like, I'm listening to it for a second time. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'll definitely have to get it. Yeah. Definitely something to, to play with. <laughs> but on another note, let's talk about witches. Let's talk about witches. Let's talk about witches. Okay. Because I would say like, I would, I would, I would say you, you probably consider yourself a modern day witch, or not. I mean, sure. Whatever you want to call yeah. it. Maybe that's too much of an identity label that <laughs> is like too much for an infinitely, uh, an infinite being uh, living in a in a uh, a body of witchery. <laughs> Let's say that if I was living in in twelve fifty A D and was walking around with this consciousness doing my thing, I would definitely be labeled a witch. Okay. Let's put it that way. I like to utilize the word witch in the historical context, historical context, especially as someone who's white presenting in the world. And a lot of my research and interest is in indigeneity. And so utilizing the word witch is important to me because it helps with personal and kind of collective education of what happened to 
the 628 indigenous tribes in Western Europe. What happened to those people? What happened to the over 600 languages of which there are six left? Wow. What happened to over 3 million women who were not recorded and are completely disappeared from human history? What happened there? Well, what happened was that in specifically Western European cultures, the central space holders of spirituality were women, the drummers were women, the midwives were women, the plant medicine people were women, the doctors were women. And when the Roman Empire around 330 AD created the Council of Mycenae and Constantine III said, hey, I'm going to create a Bible because those dudes over there who people have told me follow the cult of Christ, they believe in a heaven that's way more convincing than the Hades that we've been using with the pantheon of the Roman gods. And that heaven, this sort of like prosperous paradise, makes them more mm, ferocious in battle. They're more willing to commit suicide on the battlefield than these other guys who believe in Hades because their idea of afterlife is much more appealing. Cool. So let's usurp that religion. We'll culturally appropriate the entire cult, this Middle Eastern cult of Joshua, son of Joseph. We're just going to take that, rebrand it as Jesus, rebrand it as the Bible, steal the Torah, steal these poetry books, leave out all of the writings of all the women, and then make the entire Roman Empire, which at that time was Ireland all the way down to Alexandria. We're talking like the Hebrides Islands, even into like Iceland, down into what is modern day Egypt. The largest span of empire for the largest amount of time that human history has ever known decided to take this strange Middle Eastern cult because it was easier to control their military and create more fervor for the men to kill themselves because their concept of paradise was built up way more than what they had before. So it was a branding move. And the number one people to be like, fuck you, we don't want you to take our sons, were the women. We don't want our sons fighting on in, I'm from fucking Scot modern day Scotland. My people were the Achaeni. They fought off the Romans for a thousand years. Do you know what it is to fight a group of people for a thousand years? These are people who were vicious in battle. And they said, we don't want you to take our sons and have them fight in fucking Egypt. It's going to take them 10 years to journey there anyways. And they're fighting these people. Why are they fighting what is modern day like Rwandans in order for the Roman Empire to expand even more? You can't, you can't even take care of your citizens as it is. Why are you exporting us as Celts all the way down into Africa into a temperature that we can't even survive in in the name of, of some made up God, Josh, that you've now stolen so that your military can be more likely to commit suicide? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So the shamans, the medicine women, the people came together and said no. And uh, the Catholic Christian entity and the priests came to the leaders and said, hey, we have these women who are protesting the wars. Um, and not letting us take their sons. And the Roman emperor said, great, then just murder them. T make them devils. Turn them into something that we can identify them as problematic. And they're evil. And they're scary. And they have, you know, you know, they go into the woods and eat children. And their horned god, oh, what's his name? Faunus? Oh, yeah, make him into the devil. Turn the goat god into the devil. This was their their beautiful stag god was turned into the devil, right? Mm. The devil never existed in Christianity until they came across the Celts. Let's be very clear. They stole the devil from us, which was our main father god, which was the stag god who ruled the forest and turned him into the devil. And they identified the women. They called them witches. Mm. These are the women that we are allowed to legally rape, 
torture and murder in the name of Christ because the number one thing that they're doing is preventing the expansion of the Roman military. So I think it's cute that women want to wear crystals and like burn their sage and like practice the Sabbaths and call themselves a witch. However, that's not the beginning of the word. The word was used to identify torture, publicly rape and publicly murder innocent women and some men and some non-binaries, but mostly the three million women who were lost in Western Europe before the exportation of colonization around the world. So for the conversation of cultural appropriation, we have to begin with spirituality. We need to look at Christian culture. We need to look at the way that Catholic Christian culture has created colonization by first traumatizing their own European peoples and then exporting that trauma around the world through slavery, through the colonization of different lands all around the planet in the name of Yeshua ben Joseph, in the name of Josh, in the name of Jesus, more land has been colonized, terrorized, and completely demolished than in any other name. So as a witch, quote unquote, am I a problematic deviant woman who stands up against the military industrial complex? Since 800 AD, I've been doing it, right? So, I mean, 800 BC, like my, my people, the Achaeni, have been fighting the Roman Empire since 1500 BC, 1500 years before Christ is when the Roman invasion of what's now known as the UK began. They didn't break through until around 200 AD. They didn't fully conquer until around 800 AD. So we're talking a huge span of time that my indigenous ancestors have been trying to fight against the, the, the Romanization first because they were of a pantheon with Zeus and Hera, etc. And then later the Christian Catholic Romanization. And it wasn't until they had militarized under the Catholic banner that they were actually able to take over the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's my my brief history of witches. <laughs> that's a that's a very very in depth. I've never heard that 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 background before. Yeah. How do you feel like it plays into today's today's world? I wish it played into day. I just wish we could have this conversation a little bit more before people claimed. I think, you know, claiming yourself as a witch is a beautiful thing. And and for me when I hear people say that connected to nature, maybe connected to the eight Sabbaths, which are, are from the Celtic calendar and which were used by some some modern day witchcraft and paganism and even Satanism, which was developed in the late 1800s, mostly by white men, mostly by individuals who were interested in having some sort of connection to their indigenous ancestors, but were cultural refugees, had been cut off by the kings and queens, and specifically the Roman Catholic Church, had been cut off from their indigenous heritage. And so they were trying to revive it through spiritism and a lot of different movements that were happening in in the Victorian era in Europe. And and witchcraft and and calling oneself a witch became popular again. But it, it bypasses the conversation of the people who were tortured and murdered in the name of, of Jesus. And I think, especially during the Victorian era, when the church was still very powerful, that was like a very taboo thing to question that history. What I think would be who of anyone now who considers themselves a witch is to A, understand that the, the beginnings of that word were around indigenous European women mm. and to understand what they went through, number one. And then that word was exported around the world. So it was easy to go into a tribe in what is modern day Philippines, pull all the women out, 
rape them, continue their line, because they're just a bunch of witches. They've already dehumanized them from their own people. Mm -hmm. And the first people who were tortured in colonization were the women, because what the Spanish and the Dutch and the British and the Portuguese and the French did was they would go into these tribes and they would rape all the women first so that the next generation of children would be of European and indigenous lineage. So the colon the war with colonization was actually the exportation of rape as a tool of war, which they learned through the witch trials and raping these witches again and again and again, publicly raping them. So you take a population like the European population, Western European population, and you dehumanize the men and you dehumanize the women. And then you say, oh, but don't worry. God has told us that people who are not white presenting are actually lower than you. And so we will elevate you by if you go and be the military for the rest of the world. For people who are traumatized and don't have a connection to the earth anymore, who are cultural refugees, going and dehumanizing others isn't isn't unheard of. It's very similar to what would happen to the Jews at different in, in, in camps. They would train certain Jews who were well-behaved, quote unquote, to torture and hurt other people in order to create a strata within themselves. That's what the European colonizers did to the Europeans. They created lords and ladies, and then they created fiefs, and then they created the peasants, these different caste systems where people could feel superior to the ones who were being tortured the worst. And then they lowered people even more and said, just above animals are people of color and depending on your skin tone. And that's where we get modern day racism was this development of the exportation of, of spiritual superiority. So being a witch is actually being the one who puts a question into all caste systems, who questions socioeconomic status, who questions the military industrial complex. It's not someone who just casts spells and knows plants. That's a very, maybe 10% of what it means to be a witch. To be a witch, in my opinion, is to be someone who's politically astute and making their voice known in a deviant way and questioning the system at large that's still benefiting a very small, small minority on our planet who own the majority of our natural resources. So I would love for all witches to to start learning a little bit more about socioeconomics and human rights on our planet if we actually want to be the witches that our ancestors were. Wow. Redefine, not redefine, but like that's, it's so not, not talked about. No, because being a deviant to the political system isn't popular. It never has been. It's not like the chic thing to do. It also doesn't make you money. So in our current kind of like spiritual context, if it doesn't make you money, it doesn't count. And I'm just, I'm ready to deconstruct all of that in a big way. Yeah, make money. That's great. But if that's what's in your driver's seat, you're just feeding back into the corporate capitalist mindset that destroyed all the indigenous people in the first place. Mm. Let's be very aware of the machines that we're creating. Yes. So many of them. So many just like turning and turning and turning. <laughs> wow. Well. So glad we had this conversation. It's a great conversation, Nick. I could just have this conversation forever. Well, we should definitely do a part two okay. and dive into some other crazy, fun encyclopedia of Reverend Rihanna Lynn. Well, my friend Amir calls me Encyclopedia. <laughs> Encyclopedia. Love you, Amir. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. It's very true. It's very true. I love your wisdom. It's beautiful. It's it's so fun. Where can people find you? The best place to find me right now would be on Instagram or Facebook at Rev Brianna 1N Lynn 2Ns. 
and I have Orgasmic Oracle Mystery School, which is a forever going school to explore the infinite through finite experiences. It's really fun. It's great. So they can find me on the Instas or the Facebooks and get connected to me through there. Fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Onken Radio Podcast with Reverend Brianna Lynn. I am your host, Nick Onken, and if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your, your podcast. And also, if you want to share the episode, you can do so over on Instagram. Tag me at Nick Onken at Rev Brianna Lynn and also at Onkin Radio, whichever ones uh, resonate with you. So with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment and we'll see you next time.